This is the FS Tech Podcast. Hello and welcome to the FS Tech Podcast. I'm Hannah McGrath, editor of FS Tech, and in today's podcast, we're going to take a look at emerging fraud risk as customers and payments shift online. The rapid rise in digital and online activity has opened up a new battleground in the fight against fraud for financial services providers who face a range of emerging fraud vectors and increasingly sophisticated scams. And while customers moving online provides the perfect cover for criminals looking to carry out authorised push payments, synthetic ID and transaction fraud, other trends such as the rise in information from data breaches being sold on the dark web and sophisticated website related fraud are also on the up. As a result, FSIs are racing to keep up with this fast-changing risk landscape as they look to protect customer data and their own systems from fraudsters. At the same time, customers are expecting an increasingly streamlined payment service across digital channels and mobile, creating a perfect storm of risk for FSIs who are looking to reduce friction while managing the evolving fraud risk. So, to delve further into these challenges and some possible solutions, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Glenn Fratangelo, who's Head of Strategy and Marketing for Enterprise Fraud Management at Nice Actimize. Welcome to the podcast, Glenn. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you, Hannah. I appreciate it and look forward to uh, speaking with you and your audience. Great. Well, we've got some really interesting topics to work through today, so I'm just going to dive into the first question. How has the shift to online and mobile changed the fraud landscape for FS providers? It's changed it forever. Right now, the acceleration to digital didn't happen over three, five years as planned. It happened in three to five hours, maybe three to five days, depending on the uh, maturity at where the FI was at the time. And with that, you had a significant amount of customers who now need to use mobile and online channels as their primary form of banking and payments. With this digital acceleration and the shift to mobile and online, it's created the need for financial institutions to remove friction and enable faster payments to optimize their customer experience for their customers and to continue to retain and grow these customers as the competition is fierce. Along with that, fraudsters are exploiting it. With any new innovation, with any new um, technology, with any new shift in market trends, fraudsters look for the cracks in the fissures to actually exploit. And it's not the fact that uh, we move to digital and we move to um, online and mobile. It's the fact that payments became faster And with faster payments, the threat of scams became significantly increased because as soon as money is moved, Fartzer is able to move it instantly out of the banks where it was moved to initially and the money is gone. There's no more three, five hour time for payments to clear. The next day for it to clear, it is moved and it is gone. And fraudsters are now exploiting these new faster payment rails. What we've also seen is there's actually significantly more fraud in the online and browser channels versus mobile channels. And that's because your mobile device has significant identity verification, you know, new mobile device IDs, uh, your IP address, your mobile device information, your location, the mobile device is a safer form. We've realized um, with online browsers representing significantly more fraud uh, to our clients. Yeah, that's really interesting that the online browsers seem to be um, less secure than mobile. For a while, a lot of people worried that handheld devices were going to be a new kind of threat vector and that cyber criminals and fraudsters will be able to kind of infiltrate those. But it seems that the security on those devices perhaps are better than websites and, and online operations. Hannah, it's not just the security. It's the fact that fraudsters are using these channels more prominently. They're using the browser based more prominently because if you think 
if a fraudster needed multiple mobile devices, it becomes more expensive. They need to have hundreds of devices opposed to their computer, which they can actually use VPNs to continually change its location and their IP address. It just becomes a practicality situation. And that's why we're just seeing, I think, more fraud on the browser-based. Again, mobile device does have its own pitfalls. You have SIM swaps and other avenues that can be addressed with this. But um, again, that's where we're seeing greater attempted fraud through that channel. Yeah, absolutely. You can see why that's the case as well, because basically it's the perfect smokescreen. You're literally behind a screen. No one can see you. Authentication is obviously much less thorough than it would be in a face-to-face scenario. So yeah, it's a huge challenge for FS providers at the moment. So how are FS providers using things like AI and machine learning, new technologies to detect authorized push payments, things like synthetic ID and transaction fraud scams? There's a lot of different frauds out there and a lot of different scams. Um, but how are we using technology to fight back against those? So AI machine learning is the end result. We firmly believe it's um, it's almost table stakes. Any vendor needs to have some form of AI and machine learning right now to detect the anomalous behavior, but it's not just having, it's having the smartest and most intelligent machine learning. And that comes with data. It comes with having the best data, highest quality data, the most quantity of data. They can actually enrich your models to detect more fraud more quickly, and especially detecting the unknown fraud that you wouldn't normally detect with rules or um, other machine models that aren't built with as much data. Now our solution is able to integrate in with all these different uh, data sets, but also we have a consortium and collective intelligence. So we're not just able to use a single RFI's data to build models and to understand new and emerging threats. It's actually able to use our collective, which represents some of the world's largest institutions. And this allows us not only to identify risk in a singular institution, but also identify risk that's emerging in other institutions and bring that point of compromise across the consortium to builds greater intelligence across it. You have data providers that do IP location. You have data providers that do identity risk, um, behavioral risk analytics. There's so much data out there. There's an explosion of reg tech providers in this ecosystem. And it's not about competing against each other. It's about how do we work together and have this almost super API hub that is able to ingest the data, leverage the data for building models and for models to leverage and utilize to enrich and create better detection rates. With account takeover, for example, you can have someone across the world use a VPN to change their location to the same city where the individual they're trying to defraud is or the bank that they're trying to enroll an account in. With malicious VPN solutions that detect it, you can stop that point of authentication. Again, data machine learning is only as powerful as the consumer. Uh, A lot of cases, the the customer is your weakest link. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've seen instances, you know, where the customer is in a uh, romance scam or social engineering and their device, their account has been shut off and they're going into the bank and saying, open it back up. I need to send this money because that social engineering was so strong. So you can't address it with all these scams. We're using technology to build step up authentication and be able to allow institutions to educate the customer at point of compromise. So if they're about to send an authorized push payment to an account that is a known mule, that the risk of that account and that person they're saying to is a known mule, they're able to use step off authentication and say, hey, you know, are you sure you want to send this? There's greater risk. Ultimately, it is authorized and becomes difficult, but uh, it's a marrying between technology, data, and then customer education. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting you saying there that it, it's reliant really on, on an ecosystem of FSIs working together, collaborating with third parties, with technology providers, and building that sort of community around fraud prevention. Um, and the role of the consumer there, obviously, with authorised push payments, um, it's really difficult to detect that, as you said, but AI and machine learning can go some way to trying to pick up the key markers and the patterns, which normally indicate that kind of fraud. But ultimately, as you said, it's the customer that's pushing the button on that one and so it's very very difficult unless there is consumer awareness to fight back against that so can you give me any examples of how criminals and really sophisticated fraudsters are exploiting the rise in e-commerce and online transactions that's exploded in the past year obviously the pandemic has driven a lot of consumers online and people are conducting a lot of their financial services digitally and so criminals are following them there can you give me a couple of examples of things that you've seen um, which have exploited e-commerce and online transactions? Processors have just gotten really good at what they do. They've become more technology savvy. They've become better funded because at least in the States, a lot of the stimulus money, the fraudsters were able to go after, they were able to actually focus their attention on stimulus government funds. And it actually created a more well-funded fraudsters, fraud rings and industrialized fraud that there's going to turn their attention back to the consumer and back to the financial institution as targets. We've seen cases where they've built thousands of fraudulent websites with the sole purpose of getting customer credit card information. They're still selling a product. At the end of the day, it's the customer still getting a product from the website that they purchased from, but the website's compromised. Its sole purpose was to get the card. And within our data, within the collective intelligence and within our analytics, we're able to actually see that within 19 days of purchases from these 20,000 websites that went through specific merchant providers, there was a rate of 40% card compromise. So 40% of the cards that were used across these 22,000 websites plus had fraudulent charges after two weeks. And that was only looking at one institution's fraud within the uh, plastic space. We took this data... And we leveraged this point of compromise across multiple institutions, and it actually crossed multiple institutions. We're experiencing the same thing. So fraudsters were able to create websites at scale, use marketing tactics almost to drive consumers there, and then defraud them later on. And then the customer wasn't able to track back where their card was taken. It's a significant issue. We've seen instances where dark web data is it's out there. Everyone's data is out there. You have to understand, but there's levels of data that they can acquire. What you have to be worried about is personalized fraud, where they actually have all of your information. They know who I am, my date of birth, my social, my address. They know everything. And with this, they're actually able to create personalized fraud scams. So, so it's really interesting there that you mentioned dark web. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of activity that most people and most consumers just aren't aware of. We know that something's going on, that a lot of our details are being compromised, and then they end up for sale on the dark web. But how are fraudsters exploiting this kind of data breach? And how are they using card not present tactics to sidestep normal fraud controls? So with this, they're able to actually buy your card numbers. They can buy just the card numbers, the last four. They can buy the security code on the back. There's levels of compromise on specific cards, and it's all out there. And they're able to buy it, and they're using it for card not present scans. They bought your info for your zip code. You're able to use all this information to accelerate card not present. And the data is cheap, 50, 60 bucks to get the data, and then they're able to create thousands of dollars of fraud loss on your card. The data is out there. They're using it against us to create this personalized fraud across multiple channels and multiple payments. We've also seen where fraudsters has gotten really good about making um, fake bank account pages <laughs> that look identical. 
and using, a, you know, again, personalized fraud to reach out to the clients and say, hey, you know, you need to go change your password. It's been compromised. And here's the link to do it. Fraudsters are getting better at what they do, but it all comes down to if you have the right data, the right analytics, machine learning, you're able to detect this anomalous behavior, you're able to detect compromised cards, you're able to detect compromised accounts and use the friction right approach to increasing friction to stop a bad transaction. What I mean is if um, a card is detected as a compromised on the dark web and just your credit card number, not the expiration, not the security code, just card number and expiration. The FI might say if there's a card not present transaction that's done out of state that they don't require the security code, let's create a step up authentication and let's verify it. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you go to swipe your card at a location and put your PIN in, they're not going to think that is a compromised card issue. You're the user and you put your PIN in. So they're not going to impact the experience of the card holder because everything is compromised. It's it compromises only one part of the alert criteria or the risk criteria based upon the transactions, the other data sets and the other behaviors that go along with it to determine what point do you add friction or replace cards. Yeah, absolutely. And that friction point there is really important. I'm interested to hear what the impact this kind of increased fraud risk is having on the customer experience and how RFSI is striking the right balance between um, security and seamlessness, because obviously you don't want to create too much friction because it can really damage the customer experience and therefore have an impact on customer loyalty and that kind of thing. What's the best way of getting around that? There's no silver bullet because you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you had too much friction, the customer is going to leave because it's too hard to transact with the bank. Mm -hmm. If you don't create enough friction and there's fraud and you get impacted by fraud, you're going to leave the bank. The ability to sign up for a new bank is so easy and competition is so fierce. You need to do your best and educate the customers on why they're receiving the friction and understand that with better data and analytics, you can remove the false positives. The first part is that application. If you're able to remove friction application using better identity detection tools, and analytics, you can remove friction, decrease abandonment rates, and drive new account acquisitions. You're able to hopefully take that data in and use that for ongoing and transaction monitoring after the fact. Where it gets a little tricky is around real-time payments and adding friction on the point of payments and doing so in a way that is friction right. Personally, I think a little friction is good. If I'm on vacation and I have a transaction and there's something that's a little off, if my bank says, hey, is it right? It makes me feel good, right? It makes me know that they're there. And why do they care about me? I don't have that much money in my account, but they care about me. They understand me. They added friction because it's something new. Mm -hmm. So that's appropriate. But if I'm continually making purchases and there's added friction that shouldn't be, that's where you might get annoyed and want to leave the bank. So it's all about this method of this friction right and educating the customer on why friction was added to make it a positive and not a negative and reduce the false positives as well. That's the key. If you continually have false positives, that's where customers get annoyed. Yeah, absolutely. So proving value and um, security to the customer is key there. And so how important is it that FSIs are monitoring the entire customer lifecycle? You mentioned their sort of ongoing um, transaction approvals. But with fraud risk, there tends to be quite a narrow focus on onboarding and authentication at the start of the customer lifecycle. How important is it that, you know, this fraud monitoring carries on all the way through? Because, you know, people's circumstances can change at any moment. And also, you know, their credentials could be stolen at any moment. So how do you keep on tracking this throughout the life cycle? You grow as a person. I'm not the same person I was 10, 15 years ago. I'm not the same person I was when I first got my bank account 20 years ago. You change as a person and how you interact with your bank. And without a holistic view of the customer, you'll never be able to have that personalized fraud prevention approach with them to continually update and monitor their profiles dynamically based upon their continually changing behaviors. 
again, a lot of our FIs and what we've seen is a pain point is they're siloed with an onboarding authentication and payments monitoring or fraud strategy. And with this, you have a fragmented approach to fraud that fraudsters can actually exploit these cracks between onboarding and transaction monitoring, authentication and transaction monitoring. You have to actually close the gaps to create a holistic view of risk, a holistic view of the customer and leverage data across the life cycle, not only in the life cycle of the account, but the life cycle of the individual as they change. And it's the only way you can really truly have a holistic approach to fraud and mitigate your fraud loss and provide a better customer experience. Synthetic identities and identity fraud is a big issue right now. Customers we're seeing are getting bombarded with applications, digital applications. You have significant thin files where they don't have a lot of history. This is your under 25s, new to country, recently divorced individuals that don't have on their own a lot of banking history mm-hmm. for a good reason. Nothing bad about it. Totally fine. Fraudsters are hiding in plain sight where they're bombarding and automating applications to a degree that FIs would need to make a choice. Do we let anyone in? Do we not let everyone in? And that's a revenue choice they shouldn't have to make. So if you're able to increase your passive identification and have stronger IDV that passes through into transaction monitoring, you can actually have a better take on if anyone does come through that as a synthetic, you can leverage data from onboarding to optimize your transaction monitoring to actually detect synthetic identities better after they've come in, opposed to them creating and maturing accounts further, and then using those accounts for mule activity, for bust outs, cash outs, whatever it might be. So it's incredibly important to have a singular view of risk around a singular case and alert manager. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very obvious to me that, you know, that technology needs to be involved in that process to to manually monitor all of these changing parts and these variables, not just fraudsters tactics, but also, as you mentioned, the change in the individual and their circumstances. Technology is key. You can't possibly do that, you know, on your own as an individual um, fraud manager. So, yeah, it's a really, really growing area here. And And with that, um, you know, Hannah, just to add is if you do have a holistic view of risk, Mm -hmm. you're able to actually expand the relationship and build trust with your customer more quickly and offer them products that may be a little more risky based upon their maturity, which is a new credit line, a credit card, loan products, new account products. You're able to actually accelerate the time to which you can grow the relationship because you've built trust in that the fact that you have that holistic view. And it's not just removing risk Mm -hmm. and stopping fraud loss. It's a double positive. You're able to stop loss and grow revenue. Yeah. And you actually see a bump in both that drives bottom line profitability for the FIs. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Um, but if our listeners would like to find out um, a bit more about Nice Actimize and the work you do with financial services providers, where can we send them? They'd want to go to niceactimize.com or they can actually go and email ask the experts at niceactimize.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much for that, Glenn. Um, It's been brilliant to hear your insights and a couple of the um, perhaps quite scary um, stories about what's happening uh, in the fraud landscape at the moment. And I hope to welcome you um, to another FS Tech podcast very soon. Um, If you as listeners have any ideas as to um, topics and themes that you'd like to explore uh, in future FS Tech podcasts, please do get in touch um, by going to the FS Tech website and heading to the Contact Us page. Thanks very much, Glenn. See you soon. Thank you, Hannah. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the FS Tech Podcast.